You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. I hope all of you enjoyed a wonderful Purim. If you don't know what Purim is, you got to go back to some earlier shows. We spent lots of time on the story. Um, and if you do know what it is, I hope you really, really had an uplifting, enjoyable, fun, safe, healthy Purim. Mine was beautiful. Uh, we started something over the last couple of years um, at night. Now it's the, the holiday starts in the evening. Everyone will go to synagogue. They will hear the Megillah, the story read. People will go home. Many people have been fasting. They'll break their fast. Um, and then people do different things. When I was younger, we used to go fundraising, and the boys would dress up, and we would collect and dance in people's homes. That, a little bit, people have steered away from at night. Many, many schools or, or synagogues are a special study time. It's a special time for prayer. So we have a doctor friend. Um, he does not live in my neighborhood. He lives about a 15-minute drive away. And during the day of Purim, it's just not going to work. A, for some people, they have the time, but a, a half an hour round trip before you even get to the person's house to say hello is a lot of prime time, which unfortunately I don't have that time on Purim itself. But at night... Okay, so it's 9.30. We're not really doing anything. Like, there's nothing official mitzvah doing that I have to take care of. So my wife started this last year. She said, why don't we bring the Shalach Manis, the Shalach Manis is the food package, to our friend the doctor. And it's fascinating. He he won't let us in his house. Um, he comes out to greet us on his porch Last year, I couldn't find his house. Now I know where his house is. And we spend, I don't know, three minutes just talking for a few minutes. He is so appreciative that we thought about him. His neighborhood is not my neighborhood. I'm in a young, vibrant neighborhood. Lots of children. Children are running around delivering their food packages. And, and people are collecting charity. And people are getting together with friends and meals and dancing and music, there's a lot of stuff happening in my neighborhood. While in this neighborhood, which shall remain nameless, there may be some things by day going on. I'm sure the synagogue does some stuff over there, but it's not It's not my neighborhood. It's just not. And I'm sure a few neighbors maybe bring something over, but he feels so appreciated that somebody thinks about him that probably doesn't just make his day. It makes his month. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't tell you what it does, but I can tell you it, it lights him up. Now, let's not get carried away here. 
I'm giving him a candy bar, uh, uh, a little, a little like prepackaged Danish, uh, uh, an instant coffee in a coffee cup. I'm not giving him anything major. Uh, did it cost me a dollar? Did it cost me two dollars? Right? We're not talking major. He's a doctor. He has way more money than me. I imagine. Um, but, but he he appreciated that I took the time with my wife. We come out, we see how he's doing, we, we give him something, and we go home. So that, you know, there's no, the, the, the command, there's four mitzvahs, I think we talked about it. There are four commands, rabbinic commands to do on Purim. One is to hear the story read, the Megillah. One is to give charity to poor that day. One is to give food packages. And one is to actually have a festive meal. It, the the Megillah itself, the story we read night and day. The other mitzvos are only on the day of. So I am not fulfilling the command of giving a food package when I give it on Purim evening. So you could say it's the spirits of the mitzvah. Now, the truth is whenever I hear people say that, generally I don't go for, for that language, the spirit of. Because uh, you got to do the command. This is the command. You can... People tell me they do the spirit of the law and they manage not to keep any of the Torah commandments because it's just all the spirit that they feel spiritual. I'm not into that. But if Purim teaches us that we got to increase our love and friendship amongst each other, so yes, it's very centralized and it's very focused the day of, but you can't do it the day of, do it the night before. Like... Why can't I make somebody feel good? Like, why can't I make somebody feel appreciated, feel cared for? Um, you know, sometimes the problem is when we want to talk about caring and feeling, we have to give personal examples. So I'm not looking to uh, toot my own horn. There are people way, way better that I would love to talk about. Um, I, I happen to have a friend, actually an old student, way old student, so I, I, I'm not even sure what happens. All of a sudden, I meet his sister, married, um, in a store. And she says, you know, my brother is in a wheelchair. He's very sick. He was in the hospital. He was on all kinds of medications. He's lonely. So I go visit him. Ten minutes. He actually looks like he's getting better. He's getting stronger. The neurologist says uh, there was really no brain damage there. There was like all kinds of issues with medicines and who knows what. I went there yesterday again. I know he appreciates it. I'm not, no one is going to applaud me. No one is going to thank me. And I'm not going to fundraise more because of it. Um, but he needs it. He, he, he's lonely. Why can't we go ahead and help somebody who's lonely? Right? It's, I mean, that's the spirit of the time, right? So much other things are happening in the world. Why can't we just be nice? Now, besides being nice, um, before I get into my next story, um, but I do have to pause for a second, of course, to all my dedicated listeners. I know you guys love the show, and of course, you know, I do need your help. we got to get the show to expand. we got to take care of the costs around here. So please go to my homepage, hit the donate button. If you want to leave a name, I'll give you a shout-out, a memory of, happy birthday, and of course, in advance, I do thank you for your help. So, talking about... Um, talking about uh, 
friendship and sharing and caring. Um, this may be a little bit, but this week's Torah portion is, actually it's a double portion, La long parasha, called Vayakel Pekude. It is, if we had in Truman to Tzavu, we already had the building, we already had Moses get the command to build the Mishkan. And in Kisisa, Moses gives over the rules and regulations and the details to B'Tzalel and Aliyah, those are the two guys in charge of the actual building. In Parashas Vayakel, we actually have, in Parashas Vayakel, the actual collection. Moses will give the official um, decree, the official command, please donate to the Mishkan. And it will be the world's greatest uh, fundraiser. Because um, it was a two and a half day program. Two and a half days, they got all the stuff. And no money, by the way. Very interesting fundraiser that Moses says we need stuff, not money. Now, gold is stuff. Silver was actually only donated a the half a shekel per person. Copper, wools, linens, um, skins, wood, um, oil, and spices for some of the sacrifices and some of the anointing stuff, um, the precious stones, uh, pretty, pretty much that covers... Um, all the stuff they needed for the building in the Mishkan. So within two and a half days, they had everything. That was fascinating. Was the princes, the leaders, they told Moses, look, or I guess the people collecting, um, we're here for you guys. We are, we're on board. When you finish collecting anything you're short, we will cover the short. We'll cover it. So I tell my class, I said, imagine I have to fundraise for a new building and we need uh, $1,000. I'm talking to third graders, right? A thousand, ten thousand, a million, ten million. It, it's all the same. I could say $10, maybe that they understand. And uh, I collect 650 I'm sure 350 My donors come to me and say, we will cover what you're missing. That you couldn't get a better fundraiser. But interesting enough, God did not like how they did it. When there's a fundraiser, you got to be out there in front. You want to also cover at the end, go right ahead. But you got to be there at the beginning. You got to help. You got to put your, your money in. And what happened was, two and a half days later, everything was covered. Then to see him lost out, the princess lost out on the opportunity to go ahead and actually be involved in donating for the Mishkan. Too late. We got enough stuff for the tabernacle. Okay, they were upset, so God sends them down the special jewels uh, that would go in the breastplate, and on the shoulder straps. Um, they're actually punished. The punishment is there's a letter missing from their name. When we read the Torah portion, it's, they're missing the letter Yud from the word Nisim. So my class asked me today, like, is it such a big deal? Is they missing a letter? So I explained to them, I said, every year when we study this Torah portion, one of the conversations is, and the letter Yud is missing from the Nisim. I gave a boy an example. I usually give the same example. And you can see they squirm. They get a little nervous. I said, imagine um, you came up to my desk and you spilled my cup of coffee everywhere. Now, I happen to always have a cup of coffee on my desk. 
but I am an expert third grade teacher, and it's a mug, and it's always closed, always closed. You got to be a you got to be a fool to have a a wobbly cup that's open on your desk. You know it's going to get spilled. First of all, I'll spill it myself. Second of all, even if I won't spill it myself, but you know that a kid's going to spill it. So you can't have something that a child will automatically make trouble. Say, imagine you spill my cup of coffee all over the place. Okay, made a mistake, we clean it up. So now imagine I run into your parents in the street and you're there and I say, oh, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, your son's doing so well. And you know, he spilled my coffee all over my desk. Okay, very embarrassing. Then I meet the parents by an event. I say, oh, uh, Mr. So-and-so, your son, he's, he's had a great year. And by the way, he's built coffee all over my desk. Then four or five years later, it's your bar mitzvah. And I come and I shake hands with everybody and I say, oh, remember when you spilled that cup of coffee on my desk? Now, you know, hello, get over it. Like, hello, it was a silly cup of coffee. Why, why are you still remembering? And it bought us. Then... You graduate from high school, and I go to your parents and say, oh, it's amazing, your son graduated from high school. You remember when he spilled a cup of coffee? Um, okay, hello, like, I was a third grader. Graduate college, get married. Every time I see you, I remind you about the cup of coffee. You go crazy. You, you don't even want to see me in the street because you know that all I remember is that lousy cup of coffee. So now, let's take it a, a, a step further. So imagine these princes, these leaders, forever. Every year we read this Torah portion and we remind the Nassim they made a mistake. That, that's a punishment. And that is something most of us do not uh, want to be involved in. We don't, want, we don't want people reminding us when we made mistakes. Okay. So that's this week's Torah portion is first the collecting, and then will be the actual building of the tabernacle. But one thing that was fascinating about the donations, so as we said, the princes, they made a mistake. They said, we'll finish up whatever people don't donate. And the fact of the matter was, there was more than enough, so they lost out. And okay, so we learned from there that you have to go ahead and make sure that you donate up front. You're a wealthy person, give the money right away. Give the money right away. It's true that when you come in at the end, you're like the savior. So there was a crowdfunding campaign I saw last week in my neighborhood. And they had a nice goal, $700,000 goal. And, you know, it was going to be tight. I don't think they realized when you make your calculations how tight they were going to be. But there were 10 minutes left and they were $17,000 short. So they, I, I saw one, they made it. I think they made it half an hour late, but they made it. Uh, somebody gave him $10,000. The hero, you saved us. You, 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 you're going to get us over the top. Right? No one talks about the heroes that gave the $10,000 gift at the beginning of the campaign. Very nice, very appreciative, but he didn't get us over the top. So it's very easy for a person to imagine that I'd rather be the hero. But here the Torah, the Torah portion is telling us that's not what God wants. God wants you to be there in front, stand to be counted. When we get to the end, we'll worry about the end later. Well, the finish line, we'll worry about later. But you got to be in front. But you can imagine the people at the very end feel like, whoa, I got us over the top. I am amazing. But in the donations, it's very clear that all the donations were, were only because you wanted to. No pressure. 
No pressure. You did it. You gave because you wanted to give. And the rabbis tell us, according to your level of desire, was where your money went. As Betzal was such a spiritual, holy person at 12 years old, by the way, he could see and understand where your level of donation was, and the better your level of donation, your 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 objects got funneled to different stuff. How he did it, what he did, I have no idea, but that is what the rabbis tell us. The donation had to be from your heart. You had to want to give. Which, of course, reminds me of a story. Um, that's not really a story. It's really something that happened in, in school by us. A beautiful, beautiful program um, that we just finished. Again, anybody involved in any organization, there are always people that give of themselves and you want to thank them. You have donors who give. You want to thank them. The problem is... What do you give to the person, man, woman who has it all? If you're in an organization and everybody's connected to some type of organization, whether it's a school, whether it's a synagogue, whether it's a, um, whether it's a food bank, everybody's connected to some type, I hope, I hope everybody out there has some type of charitable organization he's involved in. However you're involved, we're involved with money, whether you're involved with time, we brought people in over the past, um, to talk about different organizations, whatever organization you're involved in. Um, you always have your people on top, the very, very wealthy people. And they're, the, they're very important to your organization. You cannot survive without major donors. So you want to show appreciation to your major donor. So how do you show appreciation? I'm going to buy you something? What exactly do you need from me that you don't have? Now, the truth is we buy stuff anyways. Get somebody a book. Try to get something engraved, something to show I'm thinking about you. I, I, I got to show I'm thinking about you. That is part of how we deal and show appreciation to donors. Now, the, but the fact is, you know, what, what can I give you? So one of our parents, um, I think, I'm not sure if it's the last year's daughter's in school. Could be she graduated last year. So he's been involved in in certain parts of our school year. He helps. He's very talented with videos and sound and music. He's been very involved for years, and he always helps with talking tens and twenties and thirties and forties of hours, maybe hundreds of hours. Always there, always helping. How do you thank such a guy? We can't pay him. And to buy him something, it's at the end of the day, you're going to buy him something, it, it feels cheap. feels like you didn't do everything you possibly could have done. So we did something that was just amazing. And this money can't buy. So there's, there's the Mishnah. And the Mishnah is something that children can learn. And there's... Forgot the number of how many Mishnahs, individual Mishnahs there are. There's about 60 tractates. And if, well, to put it this way, if you learn two Mishnah a day, two like paragraphs, it will take you a little over six years to finish all six sections of Mishnah. So we did what we said was like this We will have the sixth through eighth grade boys learn all six. Orders of the Mishnah, all 60 um, tractates, not the Talmud, just the Mishnah. 
Um, and we gave, I don't know, I think like three or four months. And uh, the adults, you know, some of the teachers did a couple. There are certain hard ones that are just, just beyond what most children can do. Um, and the entire 6th, 7th, and 8th grade was involved. And we told them. We said, you don't, if you can't learn a full tractate, it's okay. Can you learn a chapter? Can you learn a Mishnah? Can you learn half a tractate? We allowed multiple boys to be on the same tractate. And if you're certainly more advanced, you could do more, you'll do more. So last Sunday, we had the party. It was a breakfast, nothing fancy, bagels, lox, cream cheese, danishes, fruit platter. Um, and all the boys were there, both sixth or eighth grade. And this fellow who helps us, he was there. And we, they were doing it, and the studying was in, in memory of his mother. His mother passed away last year. Uh, the anniversary of her passing was about two weeks ago, and this was the best time for the family, and it was beautiful. It was just amazing. But part of what made it so beautiful was every boy was involved, every boy on his level. We didn't give special accolades. Oh, you did four tractates, and you did four chapters, and you only did two misses. We didn't do that to anybody. Everybody was equal. It's true they picked six individual boys to um, sort of complete, show the completion of each order. And my son was one of them, and he worked hard. He did a lot. But it, it, didn't, it didn't show, they didn't only pick the people who automatically did more. As a matter of fact, one of those boys that was picked for sure didn't do too much. I, I know his level of study. But it was just so heartwarming, so emotional. And then there was music and dancing. And the, the, the son, the person we were doing it for, so he all of a sudden, as the circle's going around, he stops, he gets out of the circle, and he faces the boys. And as each boy walks by, he shakes their hand in appreciation. You know, money can't buy this. This has so much value. This shows you always helped us. We wanted to show our appreciation. You, you just can't do better. You cannot give a better thank you than that. You just can't because you can't pay for it. You can't buy it. But the, as we're talking about the donations in this week's Torah portion, part of the beauty was there was no pressure. Nobody went around and said, you must do this and you must do that. And if you don't do this tractate, it's not going to happen. It didn't happen. That is not what happened. It was donation it was heartfelt. It was really, really beautiful. Now, it's interesting, and I'm not sure if I'll get through the story. The Torah portion starts out. Um, Moses gathers everybody together and tells them about the Sabbath. After he tells them about the Sabbath, so then he starts talking about the building of the tabernacle. The reason these are next to each other is to teach us that it's true. The tabernacle is so important. God's presence is coming down into this tabernacle. But, but, it doesn't supersede the Sabbath. Sabbath, God says, I don't want you to work. We'll talk about this much more in the next show. Um, but Sabbath is special. God does not want you to even build the tabernacle. So it's a beautiful story. There's a seminary in B'nai Brak. B'nai Brak's in Israel. It's called the Arachim Seminary. It's... Um, 
It's probably, I think it was set up for girls from Svard descendant, uh, girls that were, that were, um, that, that were growing in their spirituality. Maybe they didn't come from the most religious families. Um, and the seminary, I believe, had, at least at the time of the story, about 700 girls. One Sabbath, a car comes driving through B'nai Brak. Now, you have to know in Israel, there are certain neighborhoods where you do not drive through the car. No cars get to drive through these neighborhoods on the Sabbath. People will pelt you with stones, right? These are, are, are heavily orthodox neighborhoods. If anybody's driving through, it's usually to create a commotion just to bother people. Anyways, the car pulls out in front of the seminary, and people are screaming and yelling at him, and the head of the seminary comes out. His name is Ramesh Pardo. He comes out and tells everybody, get away. Leave this person alone. Get away. Let's find out what's going on over here. So he, oh, and there goes the music. We're going to have to finish this story in the next show. But in any case, the music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all the wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have David in the back. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRN Streetcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.